Today's scripture is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and the managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Did December fly by for anybody else? I mean, I cannot believe that it's Christmas in two days. Um, We have lots still to do. Have you felt the pressure of the holiday? I think by now it's sort of building, right? And uh, we shop, we travel, we work to get everything right. We got to find the stuff for the kids and for the grandkids. We got to make all of our plans. Not to mention there are all these religious expectations, right? You're supposed to be in church. You're supposed to plan your Christmas Eve service. You're you're supposed to do all these sort of churchy things. It's kind of difficult to reflect on the meaning of the holiday, isn't it? I know for me as a pastor, my first two Christmases as a pastor, I completely missed the experience. I mean, I just, I didn't even have a Christmas for myself. I was too busy doing Christmas. And I find that every year is like that. Every year I have to fight to make sure I sort of experience Christmas personally. I mean, I'm doing it, but am I experiencing it? Somewhere along the way in December, we stop being human beings and we start being human doings. We have this sense that something bigger and better is going on, but we just can't find a way to figure it out and experience while we're running in the hamster wheel that is the Christmas season. Today I want to try to look and talk plainly about Christmas, right before it comes, to look at why we celebrate this special day. Interestingly enough, if you actually pick up your Bible to read about the Christmas story and to read about the importance of this day, it is a very minor point in the whole, Christ, in the whole Bible. Okay? In Matthew and Luke, it's only a few chapters, only really two chapters in one gospel and one or two in another. It's not a lot of literature. And believe it or not, most of the time, the rest of the Bible doesn't talk about it. Okay? The rest of the authors of the Bible, of which Paul is a major one in the New Testament, what, he, what Paul talks about a lot of times is, is the cross and the resurrection. It, they talk about Easter. That's the priority. And they keep coming back to Easter, Easter, Easter. But Paul, a few times refers back to Jesus becoming human in that manger. And one of those important passages we just read in Galatians 4, which is probably not a text you've heard around Christmas time, but it is one of these times where it mentions Jesus' birth. So I want to zero in on this passage from Galatians today. Galatia was a city in present-day Turkey. It was a Roman city and was very irreligious. Okay? It was a wild, crazy Okay, it's the Las Vegas of its day. 
Okay, it's the New Orleans of its day. Okay, wild stuff happens in Galatia. But there's also a community of Jews there. Okay, and wild stuff does not happen for the Jews. Okay, they, they are this set apart sort of holy group that follows laws and doesn't do all this sort of Mardi Gras stuff that could happen in Galatia. Paul, in his travels, spends some time there and actually plants a church. But this church is a, it's kind of a hybrid church. It's part really orthodox and conservative Jews, and it's part these really wild pagans that live in Galatia. And so it's this interesting combination. Paul writes a, uh, one of his toughest and most criticizing letters to this church, trying to get them back on the right track. Because both groups are slipping back into their old ways. These Jews who really follow the law find freedom in Jesus, but now are slipping back into the law. They're becoming much more legalistic. The Galatians, are at the people that were from there, the pagans are actually becoming irreligious. They're going back to their wild ways and saying, well, if Jesus died for us, why can't we go back and do all the things that we want to do and we used to do? And, and Paul won't have any of it. See, for Paul, the law makes you a slave. Okay, and it makes you a slave in two ways. The Old Testament law makes you a slave in two ways. One, it makes you a slave if you're bad. Then you are going to have to be a slave because you've got to try to live up to the law and make sacrifices to make up for how bad you were. But if you're a good person and you try to follow the law... It also makes you a slave because part of the law is, is impossible to follow. You can't make it. So either way, whether you're really bad and irreligious or really good and religious, you still are always fighting to keep up with the law. The law never quite works. In fact, part of the law's purpose is to point you to the one who can make, fulfill the law for you. That would be Jesus. Paul believed that Jesus, being perfect and satisfying the punishment for us, frees us from this endless loop of irreligion or religion that makes us a slave to the law. Why then, Paul says, would you go back and try to be a slave again? Either by being being really wild and irreligious or by being really legalistic. Paul's message to them is don't be crazy and do whatever you want. Managing your own happiness makes you a slave again. Don't be legalistic. Making yourself, making, managing your own holiness makes you a slave again. And he, he poignantly clarifies and summarizes this message in Galatians 4, where he actually refers not to the cross, but to the birth of, the G, of Jesus. So Paul begins by talking about the heir. And we might think initially that he's talking about Jesus, because Jesus is the heir. But actually, he's talking about humanity. He's talking about us. That from creation, God always intended for humanity to help rule in this world. That Adam and Eve were made in God's image to rule and subdue the earth. What does the Bible say? The meek shall inherit the earth. We are the heirs. God made this world for human beings and gave us a share in his work over it. Doesn't mean that we're gods, but it means that God's intention was for us to share in what he does in this world. But we are young and immature. So even though we're heirs, we act like children. Now, children are not slaves, but, but children can't do everything they want to do, right? They can't go everywhere they want to. And if you ask them, they might tell you that they're slaves. 
right? As we've been cleaning house for an open house and now cleaning house to get ready for Christmas, it has been presented to me an argument that we are perhaps treating them as slaves, right? As children, you can't just do what you want to do, okay? And that's, what, that's Paul's argument here. Your heirs, God has stuff for you to be and to do, but because of sin, you're caught under the law. Whether you're really religious and legalistic, whether you're irreligious, you're still trapped. But there's more that God is doing to bring you past that point. They could not save your, that you cannot save yourself, but Paul's entire theology is based on the idea that Christ breaks us free. And Paul spends his life. And he spends his letters trying to help us understand what it means that we are free. That we are fundamentally changed because of Christ. Paul says you're not a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free, a male or a female. All the way that the world says you have to be defined, you're not defined anymore because you're defined by your identity that is in Christ. You are defined by your freedom. We are the heirs. But how does this happen? Paul normally talks about the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection, but here he appeals to the Easter story. He takes us to the Christmas story, and he makes the point about the coming of Jesus, that in the fullness of time, at the moment that God had ordained, when everything was set and everything was right, we got to this particular moment where Jesus became flesh, where God sent his son. Now, a couple important points. Number one, the birth of Jesus is not the start of Jesus. It's very clear in the scriptures that Jesus always has been. He was a part of creation. We call it the incarnation because in, to become, and carne, flesh. So Jesus was, but when the time came, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And what's the problem that Jesus is trying to answer? Well, there's this gap, right, between God and humanity, God's over here, holy, perfect, right, just. We're over here, not those things, right? And in the Bible, the gap just seems to grow. The more people are together, the more stupid things we do, okay? Sin gets worse and worse. And so there's this growing gap. And the law of the Old Testament doesn't help fix that, okay? The law gives us a way we should be living, It gives us sacrifices, but it never actually fixes the problem. Because next year, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to make more sacrifices because you've made more sins. Okay? So there's this gap between God and humanity. And Jesus has to come and fix that gap. And when he dies on the cross, he defeats that. So that there can be no separation. We can be with God. Christ can be in us. The Holy Spirit can live in our lives. But you understand why Paul makes this point. Because we say that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Okay, He's born of Mary, but he's born of the Holy Spirit. And that's a great mystery we don't understand. But what we can say is this. This gap between God and humanity, that humanity has no way to fix, that the law only makes us see in that baby in a manger... That those two come together as one. He's fully God. He's fully human. No gap, no separation. This baby is perfectly God and perfectly human. 
and not at odds with each other, but together. Do you see that gap that Christ comes? The, the healing begins in the manger when Christ is both. Then, when Christ dies, he offers us the chance to be a part of that oneness. <coughs> and Paul makes this case so beautifully in this little section. He employs a metaphor to understand. He talks about adoption as sons. Now, that may sound very, uh, very sexist, right? Okay, we're right. This is in a culture where they wrote in terms of men. Okay, and so women, you are included. But actually, the gender here is important because there's a word play going on here. Okay, the Greek word for son is the word quios. And the word for adoption is actually based on the same word. The word adoption means to be made a son. Okay? So what this is saying is that you and I are adopted. We are made sons. How are we made sons? Well, we are giving the standing of this son. Okay? So when Jesus comes, he, he brings together human, humanity and divinity into one so that the gap is totally, is, there's no separation. They're all in one person. And when he dies and he raises from the dead, what he does is he gives you his sonship. Okay? Which means you're all sons. Even if you're a daughter, you're a son because you get Jesus' sonship. You get it. Um, you know who really understands this well is my little brother Gideon. My little brother Gideon has been to church here before, and he has Down syndrome. And he has a lot of trouble with, like, pronouns. Okay? So when he says you, what he does is point to you, and he says me. So I'm me, and you're me, but you're the you me. You know what I mean? So it's very hard to get him into all these pronouns. One of the words that he loves is the word son because he knows that he is a son. And whenever my dad prays, or if, he's, if my brother's ever here in church, you'll hear him because he is the Pentecostal in the family. He participates in the whole thing. And when, when you pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, my brother says, the Father, the me, and the Holy Spirit. Because he's a son, he inserts me. He inserts himself into the prayer. But I think that's great theology because that's exactly what happens to us. We take Jesus' place. He takes our place and our sin to the cross, and, and we take his place as a son. That's the argument Paul's trying to make, that Christ, in coming and being a part of this world, takes on your humanity and he heals it, and he gives you adoption status as a son. And yes, you're a daughter, but you get his sonship because he gives it to you so that God is our father and what does it say it says we can call him in the text Abba father Abba is this great word there's other words for father Abba is an Aramaic word and it really means daddy it's a very familial term okay you don't just call everybody daddy you call your daddy daddy Okay, And so what Paul's saying is you're adopted, you're made a son, you're given the sonship because of the way Jesus was born, and now you can call God Daddy or Papa. See, in Galatians, he knows these Galatians are struggling. They're falling back, and we fall back into the same two patterns. 
One, we can try to be uber-religious and try to follow all the laws to make ourselves holy, or we can go wild and be irreligious and get all wrapped up in what the world wants and eat both of those things, take us away from the God who gave us his son and gave us his sonship. There are two narratives that the world wants you to be happy, to get everything, to have what you want, the economics, the stuff. And there's another world of the religious system that wants you to follow the rules and the discipline. And both can be contrary to grace. Both can be contrary to the gospel. And truly, Christianity doesn't fit in either of those categories. And at Christmas, what I find is that we all get caught in the same two forms of slavery, right? We get caught in the, in the economics of get more, do more, be more. We get caught in the, in the religious thing of we better do our devotionals and we better go to church and we better... But, but better is not the word. Must is not the word. The word is invited to. The word is honored to. When we make them checklists, when we make them musts, then we're slaves to the law or we're slaves to the world And Christmas has totally lost its meaning because all the freedom that Christ came to give us, we're giving up. Jesus has no checklist. So Christmas ultimately does not fit in either of these categories. Christmas changes us. We are adopted into a new home, to a new family that shapes us, to a new life. And we have got to stop being managers and start being mangers at Christmas time. We have to stop trying to manage all these checklists and manage all these to-do lists and be the mangers that accept Christ and let Christ live in us in this season. Because this is a great opportunity for us. If we get the Christ piece right, then it's great to, 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 to have gifts and give gifts and spend time with your family. It's great to spoil your grandchildren a bit. Right? It's great to participate in church, not as a must, but as an honor. That what Christ is doing in me, I get to celebrate with my church family, and I get to celebrate with my family family, and I get to share in some way with this world. Because all these mark our adoption in Christ. And if we get the center right, I think the holiday could be so much sweeter. I want to end with, in an unusual way. I want to end with a poem. This is The Nightmare Before New Year's by Jordan Rimmer. (laughs) T'was the nightmare before New Year's, and all through the land, everyone was stirring as fast as they can. The decorations were hung, but were they enough? Paying off all this credit card debt will be tough. The children were tucked in and dreaming upstairs, of expensive toys that they'll break and they'll lose and won't share. (laughs) Mom and I were exhausted and fell fast asleep, for this was a pace that we just could not keep. It was snowing outside and starting to pile. In the morning, I would have to shovel a while. Man, was this winter always rough on my back. And we are traveling this week and didn't yet pack. The kids would wake up before the crack of dawn and open their toys, and all day they will yawn. Then we'll dash to see family throughout the day, and we'll eat, and we'll talk while all the kids play. 
As the day move along, moves along, a smile turns to a frown. Somebody's bound to have a meltdown. It might be a kid who didn't get enough sleep or an adult with too many secrets to keep. Is this really what Christmas is all about? That we run and we spend and we stress and we shout? We hustle and bustle and wear ourselves thin? Is there something more happening that we just won't let in? Then we realize with a great amount of fear we're going to have to do this all again next year. But bigger and better and nicer and more. More shopping, more cookies of everything more. Or we could choose differently here, you and I. We could hold on to love and give up the lie that Christmas is all about presents and stuff. We could look at it differently, but it would be tough. Maybe it's not about presents at all, or decorations, or cookies, or sales at the mall. Maybe the holiday is all about love that started when Christ, who came from above. The love that was laid in the manger of hay changes the way we love others today. Maybe this Christmas we can more than get through. Merry Christmas, I say, and God's blessing to you. Let us pray. Lord, give us a different heart this Christmas that we would slow down and recognize our adoptions as sons and daughters. That we may recognize the gift that it is to be loved by you and to share that love with others around us. And may we have a very Merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.